Everyone, welcome to Manufacturing Hub. I am Dave. This guy up here is Vlad. This month, we're talking all about data-driven sustainability, which again is IIoT with a purpose. And we're very happy to have the founder of Mr. IIoT himself, Chris Mitzer, on the, and I, I mispronounced that name, Chris, I, no, as, as, I, as I promised I would, um, a little bit of meta manufacturing hub for all of our longtime listeners. Uh, uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I, I appreciate being here. I haven't done one of these in quite a while, so it's good to kind of reconnect and see what the world is up to. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time, Chris. Uh, before we dive into the technical conversations, could you give us a little bit of a background? How did you get into manufacturing? What was your path in the industry like and what it is that you are doing today? Sure. So, uh, right out of high school, I started working for a manufacturing company. You know, in high school, we had a... Um, you know, our, our machine tool class and our CAD stuff and, you know, all the automotive classes. And I was kind of, that, all that mechanical hands-on stuff kind of sparked my passion. Um, and it was a recommendation from a teacher that I go check out this couple manufacturing companies. And the first one was uh, Parkview Metal Products here near Chicago, where they were making metal stampings, metal fabrication. And I thought I was going, you know, to be actually working the mills, working the lathes, but it turned out that I got stuck on the IT side of things. Um, and that's where the journey in IT and manufacturing started for me. Um, throughout my tenure there, uh, did a lot of IT, then moved on to estimating of actual uh, progressive dyes and compound dyes and uh, different fabrication methods uh, and components. Then um, that's when I got into systems engineering, systems design, more programming, uh, developing custom programs, and then working with off-the-shelf programs, working inside of ERP systems, different ERP packages like Infor, Sightline, um, J. Edwards, uh, different all kinds of green screen stuff, AS400, and it, I was always kind of intrigued by the integration between those platforms and everything else in the manufacturing environment, whether it's a quality system, uh, some other data collection package, maybe even time and attendance, or down the supply chain with EDI. So then, um, did that for quite a while. Uh, moved on to a, a bigger company, and that's when started getting into when, when people wanted data off the shop floor last decade. That's when I started getting into uh, more of the OT side of things. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, a lot of working closer with controls engineers, working with manufacturing engineers, seeing what it is they really want. How can we improve the efficiency of the processes? How can we understand what the bottlenecks are? Uh, a lot of lean manufacturing concepts happen at that time. And how can we apply those to better understand what our data means? And uh, about the last of two years of the past decade is when I, I figured that um, some of the solutions that I was building, whether it was 
you know, at that time it was um, Ignition, uh, JD, some of the tools within JD Edwards. Um, what else did we use? Custom stuff. Let's just custom stuff. Mm-hmm. And Splunk. Uh, Splunk was our kind of go-to for visualizations. And I figured that the solutions that I was building did not scale. And that's kind of when I made the decision to, hey, you know, if I go off on my own, I'm taking a risk. But I know that the lessons that I've learned, I kind of spread to the community uh, and educate others as well about some of my mistakes, some ideas that I have, how we could do things better, differently that might not necessarily align within a corporate culture, right? Where you kind of have to follow a path and uh, it's hard, difficult to deviate from it. And that's where, that's where I started Mr. IOT. Uh, about a year or so later, I finally convinced one of my coworkers, Chris Udy, to come along for the ride with me, take the risk. And we've been, uh, running Mr. IoT, we have now five full-time employees. Uh, we're looking to, with the volume of work and some of the changes that are happening, we're looking to double our uh, double our headcount this year. And it's been challenging finding people and finding the roles for those people too, uh, because it, it, things are so dynamic. Like you know, we're not just focusing on custom software. We're not just focusing on hardware. We're not just focusing on the data collection aspect. So I think for us is really, I think it's dynamic because we're still finding the niche of what it is that our customers really want and which parts of those can we kind of rubber stamp to where, you know, if we do it once, we can uh, do it again quickly and be able to improve on it and not re-implement something from scratch. So it's, it's a very fine balance. Um, and that's, that's where we're at today. Uh, we, have, we do have a software platform that we've open sourced. It's called Ladder99. It's on GitHub. Uh, it's going through several different changes right now because of architecturally, what we did is we focused on empty connect in the very beginning. And what we're finding is that uh, the people that are just now starting in on their digital transformation journey, they're kind of making a lot of the same mistakes that we've made in the past, I've made in the past decade. And it's not just a simple, hey, let's give you empty connect and standardize the data vocabulary across the, across every asset, every process, and here you go, everything's fine. Um, I think it's a journey that people are learning on what it is they want. You know, some people want OEE, some people just want to know uh, when their machine's going to fail, when some of the components might fail. And people want different things and they're taking different approaches, but kind of arriving at the same goals. So we're, we're kind of backing off the software platform. Um, and, and, and in the near future, we'll be able to talk about some of the other products coming out, but they're gonna align differently with what our offerings are um, to maybe enable more than just controls engineers, more than IT people to start collecting data off the shop floor 
And uh, yeah, so so that's. We're gonna make IIoT Chris, stupid simple. We're gonna make yes, my colleague Chris is here. We're gonna make IoT stupid simple. Yeah. Chris, I think we can go in a number of directions, right? I I think you've made a lot of really good points that we can that certainly resonate with me, and I think with uh, a number of people in the industry. But I wanted to. Uh, I guess comment and ask you about one of the points you made earlier in your career. You made a switch from mechanical engineering into IT. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, certainly, you know, I would like to ask you what that transition was like. And was that a an opportunity that came up? Did you see a lot of growth in IT as we've seen, you know, in the last number of decades? And I guess what were the challenges of that? Yeah, right. So I was I enjoyed where I was working. I was at that time at Parkview Metal Products. I had both. I had a good boss in IT. And then when they said they needed help on the, you know, more of the estimating side and mechanical engineering side, um, I took the opportunity. Uh, I had another good boss there. So it was kind of a smooth transition. There was a lot of new concepts, um, but, you know, I, I I'm pretty good at critical thinking and and you know, if I can put my mind to something and study it, um, it makes sense. I'm not saying I'm, I'm an expert right away. And I'm not, and I'm still know that I'm not an expert at a lot of things. Um, but it was, it, it made me think more about how the product was made and what went into manufacturing, not just the behind the scenes transactional stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, and then that company got sold to another company I moved and went back to the IT, more of systems engineering stuff. Um, and I would say I enjoy both, but I feel that I'm better on the software hardware side. So I'm able to kind of make clear connections of between systems. Um, and really, I think when it comes down to it, you know, what's important is not the system itself. It doesn't matter if I'm dealing with a SQL database or a flat file. What's important is how the systems interact and how can you make those connections sustainable for the next 20 years. It's a balance too, right? You you find the software packages that, are, that work in the current ecosystem and you hope that they're not gonna get deprecated in the next 20 years. And then you hope that the ERP packages that the client has they're going to keep those around and you kind of have to align a couple different things to make the best decisions for the next foreseeable future. Yeah, I would certainly agree. We have a, a comment uh, on LinkedIn. Somebody, uh, Frank Gia says, same here. I'm a mechanical engineer by education, then gradually transitioned to MES control systems and then IAOT and now uh, manufacturing analytics. I, I, I certainly think that there's a ton of value in, in data and I think that you know, if I were to split people into two camps, I think that there's those who truly understand the value. They've seen the advanced systems that can gather the data and sort of present uh, the data in a way that can allow you to make business de decisions. And then there's maybe sort of like the skeptical camp, right? Because I think in many ways, when you just plainly say, uh, I want to say a technology like IIoT, there's many different, I want to say, like branches to that. And I certainly understand that you're a practitioner and you know very well how powerful the technologies can be. But what are some of the, I want to say, like pushbacks you may hear from customers that don't fully understand that value? And how do you 
kind of bring the um, the definition of IoT and the value of IoT to them. Right, right. So if you look on our site, which is being redone, um, I think we still have the five C's up there, which was, you know, the, the pattern that worked for me was you have to get connection to the machines, you have to collect the data, and you have to know what it is you're collecting. Then you kind of, you, you combine that data with either, cell, you know, with, with either machines within a cell or with transactional data that's coming from, you know, data collection, MES, ERP systems to arrive at something like a dollar amount for, you know, the loss that you're experiencing or the quality defect, whatever it may be. And then, um, and then being able to present that data in a format, you know, that makes sense to people. And then how can you automate that? So I don't know if I'm answering, even answering your question. Uh, or if I went off on a tangent, um, but people that don't get it, it's, it depends who you're talking to. I see a lot of crossover f between, you know, the things that have been happening on the IT side, like, you know, companies or software solutions being able to provide you an API, where that API is the kind of the front door to how you interact with the system, what business objects might be available, you know, can you create a purchase order and what what validation needs to happen in order to create the purchase order and things like that. I think what needs to happen on the IoT side is, you know, kind of have to move past the protocol wars that have been going on and focus on how can we open up this this stream of data that's spewing from these machines now and how can we make it somewhat similar to IT systems where uh, it's easy to consume, easy to work with, and it's somewhat has the same concept whether you're taught whether we're connecting to something that's Allen Bradley controlled or Opto controlled or Siemens or it's a conglomerate of custom solutions. Uh, and that's the difficult part too is uh, you have a lot of custom solutions, processes, machines out there that have totally custom drivers that nobody's ever heard of. And how often have our customers actually understood IOT? How often our customers actually understood IOT? Um, they, they don't, right? They want the results. They want to see and measure performance. They want to see and measure failures. They don't really get into the, what goes into a digital infrastructure. They, they, don't, they don't know that, they don't care. The bigger customers do, the smaller ones don't. Well, I think that bodes the question then, then Chris, and you've, you've kind of set yourself up for it, but what is IIoT? If, if a customer comes and says, Chris, what, what is IIoT? Uh, how do you explain that to them? Um, it, it, I... <laughs> you, you want to be part of this podcast? You can. Um, what we tell them is that we're, we, collect, we need to collect, connect and collect the data off of your processes to, right? Because they co usually come to us with a problem. The problem, 
whatever the problem may be, it's related to what you the want. Pen, the pen. Oh, the, you want the pen? Yeah. Okay. Process related to. Um, where was I? They can't deal with a problem. Yep. We come with a problem, right? And the problem is sometimes is often related to the the processes on the shop floor that they have no access to or and it's related to execution it's typically execution where they don't have an mes you know or, or if they do it's still like manual and nothing's no inputs are coming from the machine so they don't know what's going on so it's visibility starts with visibility um so that's what i explained to them is that we need to get the data off these machines and when we do get the data off these machines we want you to own the data we don't we want to set you up in a way so that five, ten years down the line, when you decide to go with, you know, vendor A solution for analytics, vendor B solution for quality control and everybody else's pieces, because they all need to play well with each other. We want to leave you that we want to leave you with your data infrastructure so that it doesn't matter who comes along. You're not reintegrating it. You're not creating those reintegration points. You, you, it's all set. You've built the foundation to that you can build upon. Um, and the closest that from a couple of different projects, the closest we've come to building that foundation, it, it did involve MT Connect. And it's not, again, it's not about the protocol. It's not about the data representation. It's about the meaning of the data. So if I can lay out a structure that this process has five different controllers, each controller has four different spindles, I can represent that with a data dictionary that MT Connect gives me. Uh, if we're talking about the state of the spindle, well, we can always refer back to that this is the execution state of the controller or individual spindle, and it can be in these states. It could be active, it can be interrupted, it could be, you know, idle, ready, stopped, whatever. But we can always fall back on that the model and the documentation behind the model. And I believe what that's allowed us to do is uh, business people and non-business people alike to start speaking the same language about the process. Maybe not about the enterprise as a whole, but at least at, from a machine point of view, speaking about it in the same language so that there's no misunderstanding. Right, because you've experienced this. I mean, you got one guy that's implemented his ladder logic one way, and you got the same machine while another control engineer came along and implemented it a year later, and the ladder is totally different. The tags are totally different. Uh, so what we want is our customers to own their infrastructure for the next five, 10 years so they can actually make progress instead of revisiting you know, the, the edge, I guess you could say, every single time that they want to add another consumer of the of data or information. And for someone who's listening in and maybe not as uh, familiar with data applications, I just want to point out like that problem, at least in my conversations, has come up because a lot of integrators sort of, um, how to say, put a lock on their data lake, right? So you set up a server, you retrieve that data, you have a very specific application, whether it is displaying OE, MES, and you don't want anybody touching it. And if they are touching it, then you can, you know, either charge them for that or completely tell them no, right? Like that's what we've seen in the industry, at least what I've 
experienced yeah. with uh, some of my clients. So someone someone who's not uh, seen that that's what's uh, currently happening. Do you see a lot of that, Chris, or do you see uh, more people sort of turning to the not necessarily open source? And that's something we'll talk about ladder ninety nine a little bit later, but sort of like opening up their data and their data APIs to allow others to connect or uh, like, what are you seeing in the industry in general? Oh. Like when you come in, is there an opportunity for you to connect to other services or do you pretty much need to go in and from scratch implement your own uh, data lakes? I would say it's a little bit of both. Um, mm -hmm. But you still, a lot of times you are coming in behind somebody else's solution where, uh, I mean, as long as that piece is going to be running and it's going to be there for, you know, if we can leverage that as a source of data because you've already processed it and it's accurate, um, that's fine. Uh, I have no problem with that. As long as it's just like from the machine point of view, if it's just machine data, we're not talking about ERP data. We're not talking about, you know, transactional business data. That's fine. Um, and I think it's the bigger companies that are finally building their IT, their cross-functional teams of IT and OT people that talk to each other. Those are the ones that are making progress. Those are the ones realizing that, you know, we have to standardize somewhere. And... I think what what's going to come next is, you know, there are some standards that are applicable to the machine data, but I think what's going to have to happen next is when you start uh, building out these infrastructures that want to push back on the supply chain and say, you know, you have a robot where uh, a robot that's driving around the shop floor delivering raw material to processes, uh, and it has to know when to replenish that material from the stock room. I think that's where other standards will have to come into play. And uh, I think a lot of people fall back on the typical, you know, uh, business enterprise system buses that do ETL and transform data in batches uh, between different systems. And I think that's fine too. Um, it's almost like you almost need like a gateway API and like an API gateway, right? Where all these different services are able to interact with each other. I know there's names for it, maybe like, you know, the UNS, right? The unified namespace. Mm -hmm. um, but the way- And I believe there's- Yeah. Huh? Sorry? I, I was going to say, I think there's connectors like that on the IT side, right? Like, so it is technically a solved IT problem that is now we're trying to find a solution for OT. And as you mentioned, there's so many different protocols that even, you know, at the physical level, don't communicate with each other. No. That makes this problem inherently very complex and just so many permutations depending on where you go. Not only, you know, the tags are different, the software is different, the hardware is different, the protocols is different. So it's, it's an interesting, like, and I, I don't know if we have figured it out to the point that we can standardize but I certainly think that more and more companies that I talk to are trying to, again, like create this hypothetical box that can be redeployed and can systematically allow you to pull data. Um, and I, I think there's companies that are trying to make it easier. But I, 
I, I think it will take us a little bit of time. I honestly think it's still like years before it's as standard as you see on the IT side. I, I, I think so, right? Because even I've been following what Europe's been doing with their industry 4.0 and, you know, I, I've never really seen one reference architecture. There's always multiples and maybe that's because it's just it, it, when, when you come, when you get down to it and try to be practical about implementations, you know, you're, you're crossing over into the physical boundary of, you know, it's not just like an IT side where you have transactions flying back and forth and everything's virtual, right? On, on the OT side, there's the physical aspect of it. And you really are like, you know, you have to start with a digital twin maybe, where you have to represent the, the, re, the physical reality virtually. It, it's complex for sure. Absolutely. So as we're talking about that, uh, one of the things that always interests me, and I guess when I think about IIoT, I probably think more about applications that are using IIoT, sometimes particular applications, sometimes platforms. But Chris, you were saying that the message that you guys have at Mr. IIoT is is resonating so much here. You're expecting to double in size uh, in, in the next 12 months. What sort of, I guess, are there standard kind of entry level, hey, Chris, I have this problem. Can you help me with this application that you guys are, are getting uh, initially? The, the thing that's common is mm-hmm. getting the data off the machine. And... For us, that's MT Connect. Yes, there has to be an adapter. There has to be an adapter to adapt from the source data into MT Connect. Um, and then you're free to do what you want to do with the data, whether uh, you know we publish it out MQTT and we stick it into Postgres, we stick it into your SQL database, or we transform it and send it over OPC UA so you can use it in Ignition. Um, no, honestly, there is no standard application. And I'm going to rely on my my other Chris over here that's sitting next to me. Uh, data collection and label printing is usually what gets us involved. Right. 100%, some sort of system integration. And, and then we have our foot in the door to discuss IIoT. Yeah, I guess we're we're good at yeah we're good at printing labels. And okay. Data capture points within their business process. Yeah, and when yeah, you know, when Chris, when you're talking about data collection, it's kind of like the the data collection that happens on handheld guns on right at, at stations on the floor that people still have to interface with because of the process. Or machines that we're not literally connecting to. We're using additive sensors and creating new data points that they didn't have before yeah. and historizing that data. Yeah. So once you guys have that, that data, I'm just going to say database, right? Like it could be any type um, or maybe into a different system. 
are, are there typical things that you do initially to help your customers once they've collected that data? Do you, do you see similar applications over and over again uh, after you, you've collected this data? They, they want to see utilization. Okay. They want to see the downtime. They want to you know, be able to trigger some kind of alert on a threshold of, you know, if the load of some spinny thing goes above a threshold or if the temperature reaches a threshold. What's my part count? What's my, yeah, how many parts have I produced? Um, that's, that's a good one because there's scales right so weighing weighing scales we've done a lot of weighing scale integrations mm -hmm. and trying to convert those folks to you know what you can count these pieces 90 percent of the time i still get that you know maybe you need to process them in batches when they if they leave the building or come back you need to weigh them but 90 percent of the other time you could probably count these and you're going to be as accurate if not more accurate if you're if you're counting versus weighing parts okay. at the machine. Yeah. We have an interesting uh, question, Chris, in the comments. Rich is asking uh, about a protocol. So he's asking, Chris, what do you think is the next big thing after IO link? So again, maybe for those not familiar with IO link, well, uh, um, just to briefly explain, it provides a lot of data points, not just what the sensor is measuring, but also the life metrics of the sensor and it allows you to sort of plug and play if it gets, you know, knocked down, broken or what have you, you can replug another sensor of the same part number and automatically re-instrument, so to speak. Uh, what are yeah, your right. thoughts and, on that? And I have limited experience with IO-Link, um, but it's also dependent on the profile, right? There's like the, the list of, if you grab a sensor, it supports a specific profile of the data points that it provides. Um, yep. and, and it really allows for that edge. It could be made up of different kinds of sensors, right? You no longer care if it's, well, there is no, right? It's no longer analog or discrete. It, it just is because it provides that data stream. Um, not being a controls guy, uh, I don't, I, I have not seen a lot of implementations of IO-Link. I mean, I can count them on, on one hand, maybe the times that I've seen it. Uh, what's after it? Uh, I think uh, the next big thing is, it, it, okay, I don't know if I can say it. Can I say it. <laughs> I mean, we can't publicly announce it though yet. No, but we can hint. Okay, uh, so we do have a hardware in the works that, it, I don't think it's gonna replace IO-Link. I don't think it's, um, not yet at least, uh, but what it'll do is it will enable uh, technical and non-technical people to, it'll empower them in, in the data collection process. If they need to run a pilot, if they need to tap into existing signals that are on the floor, uh, they'll be able to do so, and they'll be able to prove those pilots within a day. I mean, within a matter of hours if they want to. Um, uh, I, I think if, 
if we can we keep working and we will announce this in a few months um, if we keep working down this path hopefully we can push the technology that we've created a little bit closer to the control cabinet uh, where you got all the kinds of other issues too with time sensitivity and things like that um, so I would say you know without Go ahead, Chris. Sorry. There is not a direct answer to what's next after IO-Link because I think IO-Link has different applications uh, and can be used for more critical things, maybe. Um, but yeah. If I may, I, think, I was going to say, if I may jump on the sword to, uh, to, to Rich's question of what's the next big thing after IO-Link, I, I guess I, I have two trains of thought. First, I... I basically hope the answer is nothing. I hope IO-Link actually solves the problem that we have and that we don't try to build a bunch of other protocols and go split, you know, a bunch of different vendors. I, I hope that we standardize. If, if IO-Link is the thing, I hope that we standardize on IO-Link and we say, hey, this solves the problem. Let's just go roll it out to the other 40% of vendors and allow us to be able to go integrate sensors and cables mm -hmm. and blocks and all of these things, right? So, so th that, that is my hope. When I think of IO-Link, I think as, as a potential kind of very baseline communication for Industry 4.0, right? Like th that is IO-Link. And if it can make an easy plug-and-play solution for everyone, my goodness, please make an easy plug-and-play solution for everyone because it just makes all of the other applications uh, much easier, right? And so th th that, is, that is the hope. Um, and then I would say if we go beyond that, I've had a number of conversations where if we were to perhaps replace the IO link style, um, it, it replace the IO link communications with something like perhaps MQTT from an actual device, I think that that would be interesting. I think it could also completely muddy the waters and I have not done a bunch of looking, so I would imagine there are probably like two or three dozen different solutions that try to do the same thing. But in my mind, that connects into the, I don't know, almost like SCADA level. So it removes the, it gives us the ability to go put additional sensors on a machine and pull into a, pull into a gateway um, or, or a node or a hub somewhere perhaps on the wireless side of things. So, so to me, I think that that is, that, that is very interesting. Uh, Marcus has a question. Uh, to, to read Marcus's question, he says, the banner snap signal using RS-485 Modbus to bring all together is, is interesting as, uh, as well. Uh, big, uh, on my side, I'm a big fan of, big fan of Banner. Uh, I've done a bunch yeah. of IO-Link uh, through Banner. Banner was one of the first two or three groups that, that made me aware of, of IO-Link and the potentials on that. I would like to transition the, the, the conversation a bit away from, from hardware. I want to talk a bit about open source, right? So, so Chris, you mentioned open source, you mentioned Ladder 99. I think it's interesting. We've had a number of conversations around open source in the last hundred or so episodes. And I think the, the point always comes down to open source is great, but should we really go through the point of, of open sourcing or do we lose IP? Do, do we lose opportunity and leverage with our customers? So can you tell us a little bit how you came to the point of saying, hey, we need you know our software stack in, in a Git repo so that anyone can go ahead and take a look? Uh, we wanted to you know, present the worst and the best ideas that we've had and leave them open to criticism. 
you know, otherwise, if it stays locked behind a door, um, it doesn't it doesn't help anybody in the long run. It's just another piece of software that you can you can try, you can throw away. You know, with this with Ladder ninety nine, you can actually learn off of it and see along the way what mistakes we've made. Uh, the other piece of it, you know, we're not like for example, we're not really specializing in writing drivers, right? If there's a bunch of drivers out there that you can have for Allen Bradley or Siemens or any of the other protocols. But we did take on the challenge of writing a driver for uh, Fanuc. And the reason why we did that is because, uh, good or bad, their, their protocol or the API endpoints are very well documented. Um, and the challenge was complex enough to where you had a single API that dealt with a dozen or so different models of CNCs and behind the API, uh, CNC controllers, and behind the API, there's a lot of bit fiddling that had to happen. And we wanted to see, you know, can we take a single data source and be able to push it out to MQTT, just JSON, uh, then be able to push it out spark plug B, uh, push it out at the same time to InfluxDB and to an MT Connect agent. And how can we copy and paste that to other protocols as well where, um, you know, you already have open source libraries for Ethernet IP, Modbus, TCP, whatever. So for us, it's about educating our end users, educating our customers and letting them to make the best decision that they can you know the, the the longer we keep all these different knowledge things a secret the longer that people are still going to be confused about what to do and what decisions to make on their own i have a i guess a question so on an open source i i think that the oems or the manufacturers of uh you know different hardware and software solutions are slowly realizing that that's where the industry is going right so now you have various degrees right of open sourceness if i if i may say uh so but uh ultimately they all have like platforms where you have either like a linux distribution running or under controller or maybe a flavor of windows uh that is iot enabled that you can then quote unquote put any um application that you would like or choose from a pool of applications you know that you download through their own um cloud service, but do you think that our industry is headed where we will be like the software industry where everything or almost everything is open source, right? So you can, I think, look at any platform um, that has any even enterprise level software product and they, they do provide this either like community version or like open source version under a certain license that allows you to at the very least like test the product and i don't think we're there yet but do you think we're headed that way or do you really think that maybe this pool of applications that you can load on a module is where the industry is going to land no i don't think so i think there's i don't think so because there's to an extent maybe but in the end you know the big companies they they have a lot of expenses and they have to support that with their closed some of their closed ecosystems 
I mean, I'm surprised that even something like .NET, right, finally got open source by Microsoft. And it's for the better because, look, now I can run .NET basically anywhere. Um, and I can actually, if there's an issue, and that's where you start getting into issues, right? Because you have all this cross-platform capabilities, but who's actually testing it? Who, who's maintaining that stuff? And it's got to be the community that's using it. Otherwise, it just... To me, I think it becomes that there's bugs and issues that nobody will ever resolve and they'll abandon it because they can't use it how they want to use it. So I think, I, I think, think it's so too. Yeah. Dave, what are your thoughts on that? I, I, I think that, that we bring up a, a bunch of good points. Uh, again, I think that we will see more segments open source. I, I think that it, it is difficult in order to, I think that it is difficult to go ask people that have spent a bunch of money on things, legacy hardware, software wise, to go open source everything and then still provide the same levels of support that we see some large vendors provide. Uh, And so for a combination of that, and also because that is basically entire businesses in and of itself, as much as some of us on the technology side would hope that it goes open source, I'm not sure how much open source we are possibly going to uh, going to be able to find into the future. But with that, I do we, we do have some people to thank uh, before we continue uh, this conversation. And we want to thank the folks over at Phoenix Contact for sponsoring data driven sustainability. The All-Electric Society, AES, is revolutionizing how businesses operate by bringing the power of industrial automation to the world. Phoenix Contact is consistently innovating reliable and cost-effective products to streamline production processes and increase efficiency. With AES, businesses can take advantage of high-speed automated production lines and more efficient energy management systems, which can drastically reduce overhead costs and improve overall productivity. Our solutions also enable businesses to better meet customer demand and keep up with competition. The All-Electric Society is transforming businesses and driving the future of automation. Open control platforms such as PLC Next Technology combine the two worlds of information technology, IT, and operational technology, OT, with the promise of future data-driven responsibility. PLC Next can access machine analytics remotely and securely, making your business more sustainable. Whether viewed remotely through a cloud dashboard or on-prem at Machine HMI, PLC Next can also help you find insights that can take your factory or that can make your factory more eco-friendly and efficient. Unlock a sustainable future with data-driven insights. Harness your existing analytics to elevate your business and propel your plant into the future with secure, safe, and sustainable remote access and monitoring. Transform data into actionable insights and maximize your data for better decisions and eco-efficiency. Eco-efficiency, I, I think that that is a new word uh, on my side, but no, we, we absolutely want to thank Phoenix Contact for sponsoring this and for, on, on Vlad and my side, helping to deliver the concept of data-driven sustainability and data-driven responsibility, which is absolutely exciting. And we will completely uh, dig into more of that as, uh, as we get further into, uh, as, as we get further into the themes. You guys can go ahead and check out uh, phoenixcontact.com for that and absolutely check out the plc next uh shameless plug to the solus plc plc next course vlad go showcase that the plc next behind you uh go check out solus plc.com to see the solar or yeah the solus plc 
so is PLC, PLC Next Starter Course. You guys can also check that out on YouTube if you guys are watching on the Solus PLC YouTube. Hello, Solus PLC YouTube. Uh, with that, Chris, I, I think that it, it's interesting, right? So, so we, were, we were talking about open source. We were talking a bit about applications. I think that you mentioned earlier, uh, as you were talking about needing to, to grow um, Mr. IIoT. Uh, so when you guys look to grow Mr. IIoT, what are the skills that you're looking for? So you guys are looking to fill some roles. Are you guys looking for like IT skills? Are you looking for people that know what Git and GitHub are? Are you looking for people that know what the hardware is so that we can add sensors to machines so that we can go push it all up to the cloud? I feel like there are a thousand things on a wish list that anyone could have, but what are you guys looking for? Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's hard to find somebody like us. We want somebody like us, right? But... Um, so there's different, like recently we hired a, a junior developer who's a front end guy and it wasn't, and, and he's good. He's good at what he does. Uh, but the other thing is that he can pick up the things that he doesn't know. And as long as, you know, Chris and I, let's say are there to support him with questions that he has, like right now, you know, he's been working on hardware stuff. He's also been working on integrating with ERP stuff. And as long as we're there to help him along with questions and knowledge that he might not have, he's fine. So it's more about the willingness to learn. You still kind of want to come in with programming, some kind of programming experience. Um, you know, maybe having spent some time with your, your dad turning a wrench in the garage because that always comes in handy. Um, and as long as you can read documentation, and are not afraid to ask questions, um, then you're fine. Let me ask you a broader question to maybe expand on uh, what Dave was asking. So in the general, I want to say like um, industrial world, when it comes to data integration, what are the, like the heavy lifting challenges, right? Like, is it again, understanding the process? Is it setting up that IT, OT, like infrastructure, is it even, you know, deploying on-prem or in the cloud servers? Like where do you see maybe the industry lacking expertise in the next like decade where, you know, it's going to be really hard to find, I think, someone who has an IT and OT understanding, um, but what kind of like skill sets do you think are going to be in even higher demand in the industry? Uh, unleashing people that know how to unleash the data, understand the process, are able to communicate with OEMs, vendors, um, the operators of the machine, the process, whatever it may be. And then being able to kind of translate that into functionally, what does that mean for the business? Um, I think there's so many roles. I, I sent you a link to that that research that mm -hmm. the MDII did past decade. I think that's got like a hundred over a hundred different roles, and each having their own responsibilities. You know, across robotics and augmented re reality and computer vision, they're all relevant and they're all applicable. Um, I think being a Problem. Wherever you go, it's like for me. If you can, if you can critically think about something and problem solve and be practical about it, and then have you know, I guess you do have to have that some technical expertise behind it too. Um, you'll do fine in any of the roles. 
and I'm curious to be honest with you, like how the industry is going to change, right? Like when you talk about even operators, I think, again, when I sometimes come to a facility, they're going to show me around and they're going to explain the process. And you see the operator looking at gauges, you know, they're very manual. They're going to twist a few knobs. They're going to say, well, Vlad, you know, if I twist these three, this is where the flow is going to go. If I twist these four, then it's going to go this other way. It's going to start heating this tank and that tank. And uh, by the end of the project, obviously, including a conversation with them, we're giving them a very powerful sort of like representation of that system that is much more digital, that is sort of a lot more capable. And so I'm wondering like how we're going to also include these transitions, right? Because whether you want it or not, someone who's been operating the same way for 20 years and now has access to all this data and can make decisions isn't always going to be ready to just, you know, like flip a switch and from one day to the next, they know exactly what to kind of look out for. And, you know, like we, we certainly will do our best to train, I want to say like the managers and the supervisors, but it doesn't always, I feel, trickle down to the operators. I was wondering if you have any like thoughts on how we as an industry will kind of help support them in this transition or how maybe you guys support them in that transition and what your thoughts are on you know how these jobs are going to change in many ways in the next decade um, i know so it's I, a loaded question yeah it is a loaded ah. question. training you, you got to train people right and people have to are, have to be want to be trained and people have to search out new opportunities, right? Things just don't fall in your lap because you're, you know, hanging out doing the same thing for the past 20 years. And how do you train on data? I guess I, I don't have the answer on that either, right? Because I think a lot of the systems are very custom. Is there like ways that you found that makes it easier for operators to kind of react to the information presented? And obviously, you know, there's the, uh, what's it called? The... Not the simple HMI, but the um, there's a way of designing, I guess, systems that makes it a bit more intuitive. But I still think there's a lot of complexity in many projects that intimidate. I, I, and I want to say, like, it's more of a confidence problem than than anything else from what I've seen. But there's a lot of metrics that you can now use to better the system. And it becomes difficult to sort of communicate that to uh, the people making that decision. Uh, it, it, the, I guess the data that you present to different levels in an organization has to be presented in a context that helps them and in a very clean way, right? You can't have like, I can't have things looking like an airline ticket where you can't even, you don't even know what seat you're in. Mm -hmm. So... I think that goes back to standards of, you know, within the company of how they, you know, does red, does the color red mean things to you? Does the color green mean things to you? Um, you know, if you're looking at a pressure gauge and it's at 60 PSI, does that mean anything? You know, unless you know what you're looking at and unless you know what you've experienced in, no, I don't have the solution for that for you. Yeah, and like I said, I, I don't either. I've just seen uh, many projects sort of struggle in that uh, sort of like end phase because, again, I think that data is extremely powerful, but making that last mile connection, right, to the 
to the person is uh, is fairly difficult, but I think it will certainly improve. I think that uh, the younger generation, right, like not to be one of those guys, but has grown up with data, right? Like a lot of the decisions that we make even in our daily lives has have become dependent on the sensors we have at home. So I, I think it's going to be different in the years to come. Dave, what are your thoughts on, on the topic? I, I think it's difficult, right? I, I think it's difficult because it becomes a, what you really need to do is understand all parts of all parts of the solution, right? You need to understand what the process looks like. So you have to be some sort of process expert. And then you need to understand what, um, then, then you need to understand how data works and what a database is and how to query data. And then again, at the end, it comes out, how do I go and drive actionable results from the data? So I don't think that there is an easy question. I don't think that there's an easy answer to the question. Uh, when we get there, I, I think that to some not large extent, it just takes time and time is absolutely the most difficult part because we are running up uh, to the course of, hey, we're, we are going to lose a lot of knowledgeable workers. And when we go lose these knowledgeable workers, we're losing their knowledge and we don't have 10, 20, 30, 40 years to go train that group in the next six months or, or two years. Um, I, I've told this story uh, a couple of times, but right. So I've worked with groups who they knew they had one person really good at a thing, be it running a machine or rebuilding valves. The person has been doing it for 45 years. That is the person they go to. They knew this person is going to retire two years or, or six months ahead of time, but they are unable or unwilling to train someone to go do the mentorship or apprenticeship style, go transfer the knowledge. And I mean, six months or two years is it's probably good for 60 to 80 percent of, of what those people have learned. The, the real value is is everything beyond that. So. I don't think that there's a real good answer. Uh, when I talk to people as to how do we go kind of transfer some of that knowledge, how do we go capture that? I think that we have to go make a commitment to, to digitalize as much of that information as we possibly can. Now, how do we go digitalize that information while trying to build IIoT applications to allow us to run better? That just becomes a function of time and money. And, and I think in my experience, that is some of the most difficult kind of propositions that, that we go find as we have of, hey guys, we need to go do a couple of things, right? We, we need to go track, you know, machine efficiency, machine runtime. We need to go track OEE. We need to go track parts counts and weigh scales. And we can put a number to that, that talks about how valuable it is. Like this is going to make the organization $500,000 over the course of the next six months. Uh, there are many of the applications that we talked about today and have talked about in the past that we can put a number on. When we say, hey, what we really need to do is take the next six months and do as best of the jobs we possibly can, adding 20% to the workforce so that we can capture the knowledge of all of the workforce that, that is super knowledgeable, that becomes a, hey, it's going to cost $600,000 and we're not going to go see a return for two years at best. And best case scenario, we continue to run at the same rate, maybe maybe slightly better than we are now in two, three, five years when everyone else up up and retires. So I think that that is, that is absolutely a difficult proposition to make. And when we talk about kind of two, three, four layers of skills, those people basically be, become unicorns, right? So, so basically what we need is someone that we can go drop 
immediately into this skill set when at the end of the day there is no one that, that can go and, and immediately drop in who, who has that skill set. So I think it's, it's one of those problems that doesn't have an answer that anyone's going to want to hear. Yeah. And maybe it's simpler than that. I mean, maybe it's just the evolution of new generations coming in. They're going to, they know to do things differently and they're going to do it differently and everything else will adapt to it. I don't know. I, I think it'll be interesting to, to, to see, Chris. I, I think that there will not be a lack of opportunities for, for integration, for IIoT, for, for any of the things that we are talking about in the next five to 10 years, especially as we go watch uh, generations transition out of the workforce and into the next workforce. And we see if we can actually hold current generations for five, 10, 20, 40 years. Um, as opposed to, to much shorter periods of time, uh, based upon the conversations I've had with facilities, I'm not super. Uh, I'm not super bullish on the fact that we're we're going to go find the next generation to go work in the same plant, the same shift for 40 years. But uh, but but we will absolutely see um, as as we get on and uh, and and talk about that. But I, I kind of want to transition this into uh, into a career career advice, a career section, right? And and I feel like we were already talking about that. Um, and and I, I I will ask uh, Chris kind of for your best career advice. But but before I ask for like your your best career advice, if you've got if you see people interested in the IIoT space. Or perhaps you've got a junior developer, as you just just mentioned. Is there a, a a knowledge gaining, a knowledge transfer path that you suggest they go through, either internal stuff or or courses or, or something else, in order to learn more about what Mister IIoT is doing and what IIoT is going to be into the future? Um, are you saying like internally? Like, is there a is there a knowledge transfer? I guess I'm saying internally, is there a path when you guys bring on a junior person to help ramp up their skills or upskill them that you would recommend to other people interested in learning more or understanding more about IIoT? Mm, now it's kind of train them, uh, train them as we go, uh, throw them into the fire and see how long they last. <laughs> And how and deep do you throw them in? Along the way, yeah. You know, it's you can watch all the videos you want, you can read all the books you want, but until you put it into practice and experience it firsthand, it's all about experience for me. But well, we're there, right? We're there, and we we guide it. And um, you know, one thing that our team is good about is documentation. So projects that we've worked on before are documented. You can review it. We learn from them, right? You don't necessarily know if you're just coming on, you're not going to know what we learned two years ago, but um, we help you not make the same mistakes. You're still going to make mistakes. It's fine. Um, and what's and the biggest gap on that side? I guess my thought would be the industrial protocols must give them a, uh, a difficult time or just understanding how the OT side is sending data or transferring information or what's like, what's been the biggest challenge for them to maybe wrap their minds around on the, like from going from IT to OT, let's say. 
Right. Um, yes, it is about getting out there on the floor and seeing how the whole thing functions. And then underneath the hood, yes, what are all the connections being made? And what are the limitations of these protocols? Um, yes, that, that is one of the bigger ones. But then on the other side, on the analytics side, it also gets very complex when you're looking at data over time. And how do you not make you know, let's say you're working with time scale and how do you not make, you know, queries that will take 30 seconds to run um, and how to leverage the, you know, some of the higher level functions. I think that's experience as well. Mm -hmm. no, I go ahead, Dave, go ahead. I, I, I was going to say, I, I think that that's interesting, right, Chris? So so we ask lot, lots of career advice. As you know, it's, it's something that we ask for everyone. And I think it's very interesting to kind of get everyone's perspective. I, I guess one of the things that I feel like we've heard over and over again is, is it is very much experience, right? There, there are courses. Sometimes there are certifications. Sometimes it's go get your ME or your EE uh, degrees and then go make the jump in. But I think over and over again, we have heard that many of the best people that, that we've talked to is, is very much a learn by experience or, or trial by fire um, sort of conversations. So two weeks ago, we had a, a conversation with Bernd. Bernd is, uh, is, is from Germany. He currently works for Siemens, but he said one of the best things that he did uh, out of out of college was go work for a smaller integrator uh, because they had the ability to go do a bunch of different things, right? Like it's a you, you, you're going to learn everything either very quickly or you won't be working here for an extremely long time uh, sort of opportunity. And, and that is different from some other people who went and spent three or four years going and doing different uh, kind of circuits around some of the larger companies uh, going and trialing it out to, to see where, where they would want to end up. I feel like many people all end up in the same place because most of us go – have a variety of different samplings uh, for, from a variety of different groups, uh, be it in the same company or different companies uh, over the course of, of our career. So I, I think that that's interesting. But uh, so, so maybe looking at that experience side, what is the best, uh, what, what's the best career advice uh, that, that you have uh, for someone either looking to get into automation or manufacturing or, or IIoT? <clears throat> Um, I would agree. If you're a person that's willing to learn and willing to uh, try a lot of things and learn from it, a uh, smaller place would be ideal for you. If you're a person where you're just kind of looking to ride it out, um, yeah, go work for a billion, couple billion dollar company and uh, do, do as you wish, right? Uh, it's all about how much you want to learn. Mm -hmm. um, career advice moving from either side to the other side. Uh, that's another one where make friends, make friends where is. So is this a question like if you're still trying to find the job or if you're in somewhere and and want to switch to the side, I guess join a community, right? Any community that that is what you want to learn, what you want to do next. There's people there that want to help, you know, there's there's people out there that that will guide you along the, the path. Um, I don't think I mean, to me, I, I had two. I got a two year college degree. After that, I was like done. Um, 
Uh, school's not for everybody, right? If, if I wanted to be a doctor, I get it. I have to be in school and then I have to practice for years and years to get good at stuff because you need that book knowledge. And a lot of things that we do, um, you could pick it up on your own. There's more complicated topics that revolve around, you know, if, if it involves higher level math, you should probably stay in school. Um, if it's concepts and how to make those concepts practical, uh, you can pick that up on your own. Um, Let me ask you on that point, Chris, specialist versus generalist. Like, what are your thoughts? Because I know, you know, all of the concepts that we've discussed, and I think we, you know, we've oversimplified a lot of them. In practice, you could build an entire career, you know, just programming, let's say, SCADA systems, right? You only know there's data coming into my SCADA pipeline. I am presenting this data in a way that makes sense to the end user. Or similarly, you could just build a career of only integrating like hardware at the plant floor, maybe not even programming PLCs, but right, like, but all of those pillars I feel could be an entire lifetime career. So are you, I guess like, what are your thoughts around specializing very narrowly in one specific like domain versus having this like broad level of knowledge where you can to some degree have a conversation, well, we're gonna pull data from this PLC, I understand the protocols, I understand also the SCADA, MES, ERP systems, but can also talk maybe servers, again, not necessarily have that deep level knowledge, but understand the general flow. Like, what are your thoughts on our industry wanting more specialists or more generalists going forward? Um, I don't know, but I could tell you that when we look for somebody, it um, you kind of start off as a generalist wherever you go. I mean, and then along the way, you, you know, say we're building hardware, yeah, we're going to look for the best electrical engineer that we can find because we need that specific thing built or made. You know, if we're talking about databases, at some point, you know, we don't have the time to um, become 100% proficient at, say, timescale DB. So we are going to go look for a timescale DB expert that's hopefully done this a few times before. Um, I don't think there's, you know, if, yeah, specializing in something and becoming a, a super hardcore expert at it. Um, I mean, I think it only gets you so far, right? Because it kind of limits you to the opportunities that you can have. Uh, if you become a generalist, then it become puts even the same, uh, even a bigger burden on yourself too, because yes, you can talk about a lot of different things, but when it comes to practical implementations, do you really understand what the limitations are of that, you know, topic or subject to give the best advice? You know, that's why I think sometimes we maybe we're best leaning on the experts that are experts in their field, in their specialty to help us along the way. I think it takes a team of both. Mm -hmm. Let me let me ask a kind of a follow up question, Chris. Right. Uh, so, so we had a conversation about go, go learn by doing. If you're willing to go get thrown in the fire, get thrown in the fire. I guess I have had a number of people come up to me and say, hey, Dave, you know, I don't have a lot of experience, but I'm looking to get into the industry. Uh, right. Uh, so I, I guess I am going to ask you to put your hat on it as a small business, small integrator owner when I ask this question. And I'm going to 
preface it by saying, everyone, please don't go call and harass uh, Chris uh, for, for potential job opportunities. But if someone is looking to break into break into the industry, maybe they've got some hardware or some software skills looking to get in, um, identified that they want to go work for a smaller group because they want to learn a whole bunch of things really quickly. What's the best path for, for someone to, to a, approach a smaller integrator? Is it, you know, they should email you? Uh, I, I imagine that smaller groups maybe, maybe not have a bunch of job openings up. You know, is it they should email you? Is they should find you on LinkedIn? Is it they should call you? What is your preferred method for, for someone to, to come and say, hey, Chris, it looks like you guys are doing really awesome stuff. This is my background. I'd love to have a conversation about coming to work for you. I would say uh, LinkedIn, right, or, or a phone call. I mean, I never, I don't mind picking up the phone ever. Um, I'm open to having conversations with anybody. And if it's something that, like, you know, and, and, it, and it's it, it's weird how things work too, right? Just because I don't have a place for you doesn't mean that I don't know somebody that is looking for somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so build your network, you know. Uh, yeah, call me. I might know somebody. I might not know anybody. Uh, you might, you know, we might become friends. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I love that. Thank you. Uh, th- thank you for that, Chris. As I said, I get a fair number of messages that come through. Um, and similar to you, I don't always know people who, who are looking, but if we can uh, go highlight a, a good opportunity for, for people to take a look, that is fantastic. Uh, next question I'd love is, is I'd love a book recommendation. It's it's one of my favorite segments. I, I used to force Vlad to, to go download all of the books on Audible form, and then he used all of his Audible uh then he used all of his, his Audible uh, subscription uh, tokens, and then I introduced him into some some free audiobooks on the library. But we're, we're always looking for, for some new, good, interesting books. Uh, what do you have for us? Yeah, so I was thinking about this, and there's so many technical books out there. I don't even know if people read books anymore. I know, like, my kids, seems like they don't. Uh, they just would rather, and they even like skip over all the cutscenes and like the video games. It's like, that's part of the story. Like, what are you doing? You paid $30 for that cutscene. You better go watch it. Right. You know, especially with Diablo four coming out soon. I mean, my God, uh, <laughs> so I skip the cutscenes for what it's worth. Yeah. You're a monster Vlad. Yeah. I, I thought about it. And then I thought about, you know, what is it that that's very common across people? And I think it's, you know, just our day-to-day life, like work as a part of it, you know, it's fine. And, you know, how happy you are at work and how happy you are in life, I think that's what matters. So my book pick for the day is going to be The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Um, you know, it's not overly spiritual. It's not overly like esoteric. Uh, it's a one dude's journey about uh, inner peace and how, you know, especially in America, right? I, I, I was grew up in Poland where time f- flew slower, time moved slower. Uh, moving here to America, time moves so fast and it's so weird. Um, so trying to stay present and, you know, not, not think too much about the future because that gives you anxiety or think about too much about the past because that gives you depression. Uh, finding that balance I think it's a challenge for anybody, you know, that's looking into just uh, being themselves and being open and 
kind of cooperating with, you know, and we need, I think we need more cooperation between people now than more than ever because, um, you know, the different things that are going in the world and. Absolutely. I, I think that, uh, that, that is, that, that is very good on the book recommendation side. I would also say, Chris, it feels like the older I get, the faster time moves. Um, growing up, I would imagine anywhere you think time moves very slowly and you just want to get out of school. But, but at some point it just feels like you look back and you're like, wasn't it, you know, December 31st, wasn't it just New Year's Eve, like two or three days ago. And it, it is suddenly a uh, middle of March. Uh, but, but absolutely. I think that that is a fantastic book recommendation. Thank you. And then, uh, last question is who should reach out to you? Who do you want to connect with? This is very much kind of the open platform, uh, for, for you, uh, to, to our community and for us to say thank you for, for coming and sharing your knowledge with us. Uh, who specifically? Yeah. I, you, are you guys looking for customers? You, I know you said you're looking to hire. Um, are you looking to, to chat with other like-minded people on LinkedIn? Um, that or, or anything else that, uh, that you would like, I suppose to, to some extent, the soapbox is yours, Chris. Okay. Um, I wasn't really prepared for this. Uh, yeah, talking, you know, talking with anybody. Um, you know, I, I always like talking about some of the my best practices um, and how they might relate to some problem that you're facing. I love learning new ways. I'm always open to those kind of conversations. Right? Nothing's ever like you know, set in stone hundred percent because I realize that industry is moving very fast. Tooling's changing daily. Um, and you know, just like with like the advent of Linux and Docker and all that stuff, it's like, wow, you know, we're, we're doing things totally different than we've been doing them 10 years ago. And I don't think that's going to stop because there's smarter people than me you know, thinking this stuff up and I'm just here trying to catch up and trying to put it into practice without going stale. Um, yeah, no, anybody, anybody that wants to talk, reach out, uh, customers, potential people that want a job. And, uh, it'd be nice if somebody was here in Chicago because I'm finding that working with people remotely is okay to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but having somebody locally that, especially when you're, when you want to, they need training, they need support. It's difficult to do remotely. And when you actually sit down with somebody face to face a couple times a week, uh, it can sometimes make a whole lot of difference in how you guys communicate too. So. Absolutely. I have found that remote works for some companies, but I found that it works best if they are a remote first and or remote only company. Uh, but, but even having worked and run some smaller remote systems integration companies, at some point it's difficult because you have to get hardware and other items in people's hands. And so perhaps instead of having one or two in a lab, you now have to order, I don't know, 15 starter kits of something and go disperse it throughout the entirety of the United States and, uh, and hope that the people can go get them set up and, and figure out all, all of those things. So I think that th that is awesome. I would also imagine, Chris, that there are probably a, a number of folks in Chicago, uh, just based upon the, the size of Chicago, the greater Chicago area, area, um, 
who are both listeners and would probably be interested in uh, in having conversations about that. But uh, but no, I mean, thank you th- for this amazing conversation, Chris, and thank you everyone for, for hanging out with us on a Wednesday afternoon or a sometime on Thursday if you're listening in podcast format. If you guys are still listening, please go ahead and hit that like button. Uh, please connect with Chris, myself. Please connect with Vlad. If you guys are watching on LinkedIn, uh, we are in the event. Um, if you guys are watching on YouTube, we'll have uh, have those links below. And if you guys are watching or listening in podcast format, all of that information, including the, the book and Mr. IoT and everything like that, should be in the show notes. Uh, with that, and if you're listening in podcast for, form, please hit uh, please hit the follow button to go ahead and, and download these shows and rate us five stars where you can. I have found that if I ask people to rate download and do those things chris people do those things and so that's why i ask it at the end of every show but uh but no this has been amazing thank you to phoenix contact for sponsoring data-driven sustainability uh, all through the entirety of the month of march and we will talk to everyone soon thank you bye-bye thank Thank you everyone thank you chris